I stand redeemed. And we're going to talk about redemption this morning. So let's take our Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're looking at no less than a dozen words in the New Testament that bring out different facets of what Peter calls the manifold grace of God. How many car guys we have here this morning? You're a car guy, all right? You know what a manifold is. And uh, it brings, brings the exhaust from several ports into one. The manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. You know, when we got saved, we didn't just get a ticket out of hell. That would have been enough. But we got so much more. And, and, we, and we've seen some of them already. We've looked at justification. Justification by faith. It's a judicial act. It's where God in his courtroom declares us just because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And by the way, no feelings involved. Now, it can make you feel a certain way, but being justified, it's a legal action that God performs in his courtroom. We looked at adoption. The fact that when we're saved, we're, we're adopted into the family of God. And I'm looking at a group of people. Some of you have very tight nuclear families. You came from a tight nuclear family generations after generation. But some of you not so much. Some of you come from broken homes. And you know something? When you get saved, you get adopted into the perfect family. By the way, there are no perfect families here on earth. None. Even the, the real tight, good ones, if you want to call them that, and where everything is just so. Um, little House on the Prairie and Mr. Rogers' neighbor, neighborhood are both make-believe. <laughs> but we are adopted into a perfect family where God is our Father. And we also looked at the word imputation. And what's exciting about that word is it, it, it's another legal term and it fits right in with justification. And it's the reason that we can be justified in the eyes of God because God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us, gives us credit for it, and then imputes our sins to him. And it's the exchange life. Things are reversed because of what Jesus did for us. And if you'll just think about that one today, meditate on that one today. When God looks at you, and in and, and so much of that song, it was, it was brought out, our, our faults, our failures. Boy, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've got a PhD in making mistakes. Huh? I've got a PhD in getting it wrong. I got a master's degree in blowing it. And aren't you glad when God looks at you positionally, he doesn't see all that, he sees his son. I, I still, I've, this was one of the first verses that I learned after I got saved almost 50 years ago. 
But 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Now think of this next phrase, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you're saved here this morning, you've been made the righteousness of God in him. And that's because God imputed Christ's righteousness to you, gave you, gives you credit for it, and imputed your sins to him. I'm telling you what, I don't think I'll ever get over that. And I'm certainly never going to understand it. But thank God for the exchanged life. All right, now let's look, let's look at another one this morning, and we're going to look at the word redemption. Redemption. As our young marriage were singing about this morning, and we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet. Made us, that's old English for fit. Hath made us meet <clears throat> to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. <clears throat> and notice that's in the past tense. He's already done this. He's made us fit. He's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. I guarantee you this morning, if you got a call next week that a very wealthy relative that maybe you knew, maybe you didn't even know about, uh, will to you a, a large inheritance, I mean, enough to make you wealthy, and there was a date for the signing of all the papers, and, and then a date when all that money would be yours and so forth, uh, you'd look forward to that. You'd look forward to that. Don't, don't get all pious and super saint on me. You'd look forward to that. The first thing you'd look forward to is tithing it. I know that. <laughs> you'd be so excited about that tithe. But do you realize, Christian, that you as a believer are a joint heir with Jesus Christ? And, and that's not if some wealthy relative dies. That's guaranteed in Christ. And why is that? He made us fit. He made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What, we, what were we going to inherit before we got saved? We were going to inherit eternal darkness. Eternal darkness. But instead, we're, we're going to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, once again, past tense, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness... Thank God for that. How many of you, before you got saved, you realize now that because of some of the things you were involved with in your, let's call it your lost life, I call it BC, you were getting tangled up with demon spirits. Anybody that did drugs, your, ha your hand ought to be up right now, okay? Any of you that, that, that went to a, a lot of those rock concerts and listened to that heavy metal music, your hand ought to be up right now. Many of you that drank, you know, people talk about the problem with drugs, and we got this uh, big, big problem with the uh, opioids and all that, and, and it is a big problem. And you know why it's become such a big problem? I remember when I was doing drugs way back in the day, uh, opium products were very expensive. Someone became a heroin addict, they had to take up robbing 7-Elevens at gunpoint. 
Now they become dirt cheap and they got all these synthetics. But you, you realize that withdrawal from alcohol addiction is more dangerous to you physically than withdrawal from heroin addiction? People die just, just drying out. Uh, there was an old saying back in the day, they'd say he died with snakes in his boots. Why did they say that? Because the guy with delirium tremors would see stuff like that. Snakes in his boots. You know what that is? That's involvement with demon spirits. A lot of that stuff pierces a, 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 a protective veil that God has put between us and the spirit world. And we get messing around with that stuff and we get messing around with demon spirits. And, and God tells us when we got saved, he delivered us from the power of darkness. I'm so glad to be delivered from that. I could tell you story after story after story. And, and it just scared me to death. Because I was lost, but I, I still... I. I'd have encounters with different things because of the, the, the lifestyle with the drugs and the people I hung around with and the things we did. And I knew there was something wrong there. And it was frightening. And after I got saved, I realized God delivered me from all that. And look what it says. And translated, half translated, past tense, it's already happened, into the kingdom of his dear son. God says you're already there. You're already there. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. It's like an umbilical cord from earth to heaven between you and God. The rest of you is just waiting to catch up. Paul said our conversation is in heaven. God sees it as, as, as done. He sees it as done. You are already in the kingdom of his dear son. You've been born again. As Jesus talked about uh, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you are born again into the kingdom of God. Now I'm looking forward to the day when God establishes an earthly, physical, visible kingdom on this earth called, oddly enough in scripture, because it seems contradictory, the kingdom of heaven. Well, how can the kingdom of heaven be here on earth? It'll be here when the king is here. You see, the king came a little over 2,000 years ago, and they rejected him. But the king is coming back. We were studying on Wednesday night about Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation. We look at all the, the craziness in this world, and this world coming apart at the seams. And it all portends to what's going to happen. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back to utter and total chaos and war throughout the world. This little pandemic we've had across the globe the last couple of years will look like nothing. When the, when the things that take place that are described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 take place... And what is, that all, what is that all leading to? It's leading to God bringing Israel to a place of repentance. So when Israel's king comes back again the second time, the Messiah, they will receive him. And he will rule and reign for a thousand years. A thousand years of trusting politicians. That almost seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? 
He will be a benevolent monarch. He will be king of kings. He will be lord of lords. And the world will see peace and prosperity. They're talking about food shortages now. And, you know, that's something that just, I mean, as an American, honestly, it doesn't even register. And they're saying the likelihood of that affecting us is, is low, but, you know, they don't know. But the food chain works in a certain way where third world countries tend to be more dependent on some of the exports that are going to fall short as a result of this war in Eastern Europe. The Ukraine being a great breadbasket of Europe. And when Christ comes back, there will be no food shortages for anyone. For anyone. When Jesus fed the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000, just a couple of loaves and a few fishes, what was he doing? Was he just helping out a group of people with one lunch and it was a one and done deal and that's it? No, he was showing us what was possible. What was possible. All those healings, he was showing us what was possible. And one of these days, when the king is here, it'll be a world like the world's never been before for 1,000 years. But in the meantime, verse 13, we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of God, which is, which is not meat and drink, Paul said in the book of Romans. He says it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So here we are in the nasty now and now. We're not out there in the future yet where the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is reigning and everything has been straightened out around us. But what we have is we have the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. We have changed lives. We have a new nature. We have the promises of God. And we know, come what may, we're going to end up with him. Because we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. It's, it's an established fact. Folks, there are so many reasons you can't lose your salvation. I mean, what's going to happen? You lose your salvation tomorrow. Is God going to kick you out of the kingdom? And then when you get it back next week, assuming you do, is he going to bring you back in? But then again, you could lose it again next month, right? And then out you go. And some of us here this morning would be wearing out a path back and forth. <laughs> God says you're already there. You're already there. Spiritually, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Verse 14, here's what makes it all possible. In whom we have redemption through his blood, <coughs> even the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. To buy back, to buy back, to purchase back. Something that you previously owned. You see, in Adam and Eve, we were gods to start with. But they fell. And thus the need for redemption. Many of the new translations, if you don't have a King James Bible, 
take out perhaps the most important part of this verse. It reads, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. What did I just leave out? Through his blood. Makes you wonder, why would somebody do that? It's through his blood that we have redemption. That's all over the New Testament. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Story is told about a little boy that uh, his dad taught him how to whittle and carve. And he made a little sailboat. He whittled a little sailboat. And he loved that little sailboat. And they lived near a river. And he would sail that little boat along the shoreline of the river. And one day, the boat got away from him, went across the river, went down. He ran, did it his best, but he couldn't find it, and it was lost. And months went by, and one day, he was walking in town with his dad and went past the front window of the hardware store that had a, a section with toys and then had used toys, and lo and behold, in the window was his little sailboat. Somebody had found it, and somehow or another it got there. And the little boy and his dad went back into that hardware store and purchased that boat back, redeemed that boat. Uh, don't you know, it means more to God that he has redeemed us than if he just had purchased us without having lost us, but the fact he redeemed us. I was in a, one of those used sporting goods stores. It wasn't a play it again. They had some other name for it back in the Chicago area about 15 years ago, visiting, visiting the folks when they still lived there. And I ended up in this store. It was in a far-flung western suburb. And I, I went... You know, I always end up in the hockey gear there, and I got digging around, and I'm digging around through some stuff, and all of a sudden, there's this old ratty-looking chest protector, and on it, it said, R. D. Michael. 299-8378. Amazing I can still remember that number. My phone number. And, and by the way, this chest protector... For a hockey goalie was a little more than wishful thinking. <laughs> it had these two little pads that my mom had sewn on because those things didn't cover. You get hit in the armpit with a hockey puck. And I couldn't believe it. I looked at that. And I had sold that all of my, my goalie equipment when I took off for Bible school in 1976 or 75, whatever it was. And this thing had made its way back here. And it is a piece of junk. But I bought it. <laughs> I had to buy it. There's no way I was going to go home and leave it there. Hey, honey, guess what? I saw my old chest protector. You know, I bought it. Why? Because it was mine. <laughs> and isn't that a pretty good description of many of us when God found us and redeemed us? Pretty ratty and a lot of wishful thinking. <laughs> but I'm telling you something. To God, you're very special for that reason. 
We were his at one time. But because of sin, we were lost to him. And it means a lot more that he has been able to redeem us. Redemption. Let's look at another one. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for who? All. All. To be testified in due time. Uh, back up. Uh, I'll take you a little bit out of context here, but same, same principle here. Uh, look at verse 4. Who will have how many men? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, look, look, I don't care how many books they write. And I don't care how great a guy John Calvin was. But over and over and over again, the Bible tells us very clearly in plain, simple English that Christ died for everyone. And if you go to hell, it's because you chose to go there. Not because God, in eternity past, chose you to be damned. Just reading the Bible one time through from Genesis to Revelation and looking at it in plain English and taking it in the plain sense of the text and using common sense, that statement alone just sounds totally out of context. You really got to work and torture the scripture to come up with a God who's standing there in eternity past and in spite of the fact he sent his son in his love to save us, it almost seems if you really read the history of this, this, this pseudo-doctrine, this pseudo-Christian doctrine, it's like he's sitting there salivating at the idea of sending the vast majority of people to hell without any realistic chance of being saved, all the while telling them, yeah, you can be saved. I'm sorry. I can't reconcile that with what I know about the God of the Bible. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, sent a, a, a team of delegates to the Council of Dort in the early, I think it was 1507 in Holland. And, and that was the hardest core form of, of Calvinism that there was, and to this day probably still is. And all these, 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 these fancy declarations, one after another after another, on how God damns the lost and how they deserve to be damned and how they have an aggravated case of this, that. And I mean, and, 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 when, and when, the, when the delegate came back, and, and, and mind you, mind you, Luther was somewhat of a Calvinist, even though there wasn't really Calvinism per se in those days. It hadn't been codified. And you say, where did those reformers get all that? It, it was a hangover from Catholicism. Augustine. Augustine taught double election. The election of the saved and the election of the lost, both chosen to be where they're going. And Luther and Knox and Calvin and those guys, all, they, they had all been priests and Catholic scholars, and it was just a hangover from Catholicism. And Luther saw this, and he said to the delegates, 
He said, if I was the, he said, if I was the, the most fiendish devil in hell responsible for sending men to hell and making people hate God, he said, I couldn't do any better than this statement. Because they made out God to be a monster. And I know if you're a Calvinist, you're about ready to swallow your tongue about now and stone me to death for committing blasphemy. But I'm sorry, folks, that's not the God of the Bible. Man has a free will. And if we don't understand how, how to reconcile all that with God's foreknowledge and predestination, that's our problem. But I'm not going to rearrange God because I don't understand it. I'm going to come to the conclusion that he's a lot smarter than I am and things are a little more complicated than my little pea brain can comprehend. So God made it really simple. Choose to trust Christ and go to heaven. Choose not to and go to hell. That's not even in my notes. But I, I just hate to see God's reputation get tarnished like that. Besides that, if people are predestinated to go either place, what's the sense in even witnessing to them? Why, why are we sending missionaries to all these far-flung places? What's going to happen is going to happen. But over and over again, we see this, verse 14, or 4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And verse, verse 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. A mediator has to have a propitiation. A mediator is one who brings two parties that are at odds with each other back together again. And in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, we were at enmity with God. And many of us didn't even realize it, but we were at enmity with God. We were walking in lockstep with the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the power of darkness. We were going along with a program that expressed its hatred toward God in any way it could. And God provided the propitiation. A propitiation was needed. A payment was needed. And we didn't even have the right currency, much less enough of it. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John. Propitiation, a payment made to get two enemies back together, to reconcile them, as we saw in reconciliation. First. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and verse 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. See, salvation isn't a ticket to sin. Getting saved won't make you sinless, but it'll make you sin less. And if it doesn't, you better check and make sure you got the right kind. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate is one who pleads the cause of another. And, and, and one of the easiest examples we can comprehend is, is, is a lawyer in a court of law. There's things going on there that the average person doesn't understand or get. The, the, the decorum, the, uh, the, way, uh, the, the propriety, uh, procedure, and the laws themselves. And they need an advocate. Once in a while, I'll hear of a big trial, and, 
And usually it's a murder trial, and some guy will want to be his own lawyer. I always think to myself, boy, you know, he wants to get to the hot seat fast, doesn't he? And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, by the way, Jesus Christ, as a lawyer, he's pretty tight with the judge. That doesn't hurt anything, does it? But look at verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and here it is again, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? Whole world. For the sins of the whole world. There is no limited atonement. There's unlimited atonement. Unlimited atonement. So we can change tulip to tup up. Get rid of the L. Turn it into a U. T-U-U-I-P. Tup up. For the sins of the whole world. But notice it says he is the propitiation for our sins. He is that payment. Our advocate himself offers himself as the payment. His blood shed. Uh, turn to chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4. And First John chapter 4. And verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Folks, when we got saved, it's not about we had been looking for God. God had been looking for us for a long time. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Placebo religion, even within the realm of Christendom, tells you, you work it up. You start loving God the way you should. You prove to him you're up to the standard. You overcome your fallen Adamic nature which is pure, pure, unadulterated selfishness, if we're honest with ourselves. And you become godlike by starting to love God. Folks, we don't naturally love God. I'm going to tell you who we love naturally. That's the biggest love affair that most of us have ever had, right there. And so, folks, it, it's not about us working it up. Did you ever try to work it up? It's a great formula for misery. It really is. Do you ever see lost people that are trying to work it up? Do you ever see lost people who are trying to be good enough? I'm talking about the ones that are being serious, not the one where you knock on their door and, and ask them if they'd like a gospel track about the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they point to some sticker they got 15 years ago for giving 10 bucks to the Little Leagues. Hey, I'm a good person. Look at that. I gave, I gave 10 bucks to Little League 15 years ago. Shut up and get out of here. I'm going to heaven. Or like Bloomberg said, he said, I'm, I, I'm not even stopping to be examined. It's no contest. I'm going right through. Do you know why we love God this morning? Because he first loved us. And let me show you. Let me let you in on a little secret. Look, look down at verse. Look down at verse. Look down at verse 19. Look at verse 19. It's real simple. 
Because look, as a Christian, would you like to love the Lord more? Or am I the only one that thinks I'm deficient in this area? Anybody like to love the Lord more? All right, here's, here's the big secret. We all love formulas. We're Americans, we love formulas. It's a real simple one. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. You want to get your love for him revved up? Just keep looking at his love for you. Keep studying and reading and meditating on the cross. His sacrifice for you. Read Isaiah 53 over and over again. Think, think about the great mystery that, that God would love a sinner such as I, that, that the Bible says God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5. Meditate on those things, and you know what will happen? Your love will respond to his love, and your love for him will grow. We can't work it up from within because we're just naturally selfish folks. I can't browbeat you into it. I, I, any, do any of you have pet peeves, or am I the only person that has pet peeves? And as a preacher, one of my pet peeves, I've only got a handful of pet peeves about preaching. And one of my pet peeves is a guy standing behind a pulpit, pounding the pulpit, and yelling at everybody, you don't love God enough. When I have to endure that kind of preaching, the first thought that comes to my mind is, and you do? Okay, well, if you do, tell me how to love God enough the way you love God enough. And there's no answers. You just need to do it. You just need to quit being selfish and love God more. I'm going to tell you something right now. In and of myself, I don't know how to quit being selfish. But I do know this. The more I look at my lovely Savior, and the more I realize his love for me, and the more I meditate on the fact of the exchange life that God put my sins on Christ and his righteousness on me, the more I, unworthy, start loving him. You become a slave to the master. A prisoner of what? A prisoner of love. A prisoner of love. And why? Because Christ himself made himself the propitiation. Here we were. We were, we, we were at a, a logger jam, a standstill, hit the brick wall. We're at enmity with God, and we're on one side of this equation, and God's on the other. And who's going to blink? We don't even have the right currency. We couldn't even provide the solution. God not only... God not only brings the currency in the blood of Christ, but he brings enough to save every one of us. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, to the uttermost, to the uttermost. Someone said from the uttermost to the guttermost, to the uttermost. Folks, when we get saved, when, when, when Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, when that propitiation is put to our credit, we are as saved as we can be saved. Can I encourage you this morning? 
don't serve God to be more saved. Because you can't be. Serve God this morning because you are saved. And you are saved, the book of Hebrews says, to the uttermost. From the guttermost to the uttermost. And in the blood of Christ, you're as saved as you can be. And I don't care. I don't care if, if your sins represented a small bucket. And I don't care if your sins represent Mount Everest in size and in quantity. It doesn't matter. You're saved to the uttermost. Because of that propitiation that was made in your behalf. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that as Psalm 85 says, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Lord, I, I admit again this morning, as I've admitted many other times, I marvel at these truths, but I still don't understand them. But Lord, we're thankful for them. Thankful for a redemption so wonderful that we'll praise you for eternity because of it. Lord, we pray for anybody looking in this morning, anybody here in this auditorium that doesn't know Christ. Father, may they just be willing to exchange their sins for Christ's righteousness. May they come to a place of repentance, agree with you, that they're sinners that have broken the law of a thrice holy God. We've offended you again and again and again, over and over. But you're willing, Lord, to offer a complete pardon. To erase all sins past, present, and the promise of the future through these great truths justification by faith, imputed righteousness, propitiation of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our mediator, our high priest. And on and on and on it goes. Lord, we pray that one listening right now that doesn't know Christ would just bow their heart to you. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus did die for me. was buried, rose again the third day. And I now receive him as my personal savior from sin. Lord, help those of us that know you not to keep this a secret. Thank you, Lord, that it wasn't kept a secret from us. Someone took the effort to tell us bring us to you. Help us to be that person in someone else's life this week. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 335. Redeem number 335. Redeem how I love to proclaim it. Redeem by the blood of the Lamb.
Please, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, thanks so much uh, for your love for us. And, and Lord, I just pray that uh, as we go uh, throughout this day and throughout our lives, for that matter, uh, help us never forget uh, well, the riches in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Lord, if that doesn't make us love you more, then there's something wrong with us. And we understand that. Lord, be with us throughout this afternoon. We look forward to that uh, service tonight, the baptism. And uh, be with us throughout this day. Lord, we do indeed love you. We pray in your name. Amen.